Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? It is Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 441. Look, I really like to believe in the goodness of man. In fact, in combat and in dealing with the aftermath of deadly natural disasters, I have absolutely 100% witnessed amazing acts of human compassion and people working together to build things back. But I've also witnessed despicable acts of evil under these very same conditions. And yet, I think it's nothing compared to what I believe that we're going to see when a true collapse of our infrastructure hits our society and our country. Now, what we could see and the hard facts that you have to come to terms with now is what this week's show is all about. And I have just the person to give us some insight here. And don't forget, we are taking all the notes for you and you can download them absolutely free in the special Loot Locker section of our academy. All you have to do is go to warriorlife.com loot to get these as well as a ton of other handy resources for you. And now let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, Warriors. Hey, listen, if you if you believe all the post-apocalyptic movies out there, I'm sure you can picture what life is going to be like after that trigger event finally takes place and life as we know it changes like overnight. The visions of marauding gangs of thugs and tribal armies of mutants all wearing leather chaps and carrying barbed wire baseball bats. They're all going out house to house, raping and pillaging their way through the wasteland with no rule of law to protect all of us mild-mannered, law-abiding folks. Now, while all of this makes for great fantasy blockbusters, I'm sure you'd expect the reality to be a lot different, right? But I have to question just how different things will be when there is finally a cataclysmic event that destroys our infrastructure. And it's every man, woman, and child being forced to defend themselves and their basic supplies in an environment where there is no law and order. There's no police to protect you. There's no military to stop the predators of our society that are among us right now from seizing the opportunity to take whatever they want without fear of accountability. I mean, we've seen this over and over again, even in local areas where there might be civil unrest. We see what happens when there is no infrastructure there. Now, I know this is a hard notion to fathom, but trust me, I've seen it with my own eyes, just how quickly man turns against man, neighbor turns against neighbor, when an infrastructure collapses and everyone is out there battling for basic survival factors like like food and water and safe shelter. So it's been my observation, like it or not, that those who understand how quickly even the average everyday townsfolk can revert back to primal animal instincts and make that transformation themselves to a point that keeps them safe, like those are the people who are going to be the ones who have the highest chance of survivability. Now, I'm going to warn you that we are probably going to be talking about some things today that could be disturbing to a lot of you. But I also firmly believe that this is a topic that you seriously need to consider as part of your survival plan, because your biggest threat in a true like collapse scenario is likely not going to be food and water. It's going to be other people. It's going to be the ones around you who have a very short mental walk that they need to take to becoming a version of evil that you may not be prepared for. But that's what this week's show is here to help you with. Hey there, Warriors. Jeff Anderson here, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com and the Warrior Life Academy. And with me today to talk about how to understand the predator mindset in a collapsed environment and even tap into your own animalistic instincts to be able to protect yourself and your family from those who would do you harm is my friend, Jermaine Andre. Jermaine, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Jeff. What's happening, man? It's good to be back again. Oh man, I'm always I've been been giggling about this all day. I was <laughs> waiting for this uh for this show. I always love talking to you because I love how your like your background just really um and and where you've gone over your career and your life. Um you've written a book about it. I would say like it, it reads like a book, but you have written a book about it. But um I just I love to tap into your expertise, man, your experience. Um, listen, everybody, if if you've missed any of our past interviews with Jermaine, he is a UFC veteran and multiple world champion training in numerous martial arts since his early childhood, including, but not limited to, Muay Thai, kickboxing, uh, Russian sambo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kung fu, karate, taekwondo, judo, wrestling. It just kind of goes on and on. Um, He is a certified law enforcement instructor in use of force, 
impact weapons, weapon retention, and weapon disarming, among others, which most people would find kind of surprising because of the time that Jermaine has also spent on the other side of the law. He grew up on the streets, uh, fighting in gang wars, and ultimately was incarcerated in a maximum security prison, forced to survive with his bare hands against some of the worst predators and violent thugs of our society. Now, today, Jermaine has taken all that experience, and he works with individuals to help them harden their body, their mind, and their warrior spirit to face the brutal truth about what it takes to survive in a dangerous world. So you can find out more about Jermaine and his training over at www.germaineandre.com. Now, Jermaine, this is a very strange topic, I think, that a lot of people are, they're going to find a little bit disturbing, I think, sometimes. But you and I had a really good talk about this before, and I thought it would be great to, to really do a whole show around this, because a collapsed environment where there's no infrastructure it is, it is really going to break down into every man, woman, and child for themselves type of a scenario. I mean, most people, they're not ready for that quick of a change. Right. I, I really feel like the faster that you can make that mental switch in your brain, the better. And I know that you've seen guys come into prison who are just like complete newbies. Like you can get, you can see that you can see it all over them. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're new to that culture and how quickly those people can be victimized by the other people that that are in the know in prison. So that's why I'm really looking forward to tapping into your experience because this really is about mindset. So how does the average person make that mental leap from, you know, mild mannered to primal survivor, like that animal instinct? How do you make that leap as quick as possible? Well, I'll tell you when, when I was sent to prison, I was, I was 19 years old. So that's, that's pretty young. And I had been in jail a few times, you know, but prison is way different. That's that's going to, going with the big boys. And what I did personally, which understand still, even in prison, you still have some uh, you still have some infrastructure. You know, you still have the guard. You still you know, you can go be a rat and, and do what's called PC up, go to protective custody if you want to. But then, you know, you've lost your your reputation is dead. You know, if anybody gets their hands on you, you, you you're wrong. So nobody wants to do that. So it's so you still it's not as bad as it would be if a pop apocalypse happens, you know. However, um, me personally, I was not I had no I was not going to be a snitch, I was not going to be protective custody, I would have been dead first. And I found the best way the people who made it through the easiest and the best way, you have to forget your love, your desires, and your wants. You know, you had to had to understand that all of those good things, all those comforts were gone. They're out of there. You know, and you're 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 basically on an animal status. And you have to be ready to immediately adjust to do whatever it is that has to be done, regardless of what it is to survive or if you want to progress, you know, if you want to succeed, whatever it is that you're trying to do. So it's got to be that automatic thing where, OK, love's out of here. My comforts are out of here. My desires and wants out of here is now just needs and nothing else. That. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, even in like in the military, we had a saying like nothing to it, but to do it. If it ain't raining, it ain't training. Like we have, you know, tons of sayings in the military. Yeah. Right. But it's, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Like you go out, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember the first time we went out, the, went out in the field and um, I, I asked my sergeant, like, what do we do if it rains? And he said, you get wet motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense. Um, you know, but, but it really is like, you realize there's nothing you can do about it. And so you just make the mental leap. And I think that that's what that's now why things don't really bother me as much because I've already been to a place where it sucks. You're, you're freezing cold, you're soaked to the bone and you don't have, you you don't make a fire. You you just gotta, you gotta suck it up. You have to figure out what you're going to do because mother nature is not going to work with you on this one. So so that makes a lot of sense. Like I think the people, and if we look at it this from a survival standpoint, it's really easy to to lament. And I have I, I, there's actually an interesting an interesting place I'm going to go with this, but it's very easy to lament all that you're you've lost, or you know you can't watch your the reruns of the Simpsons or whatever, you know, right? Like you can't get your your nutty buddy, right? <laughs> but it's like, um, but it's also the understanding of the things that we were dependent upon for our infrastructure, right? The grocery store, the police, those things can be gone. 
And it's whether it's the rain, whether it's snow, whether it's the Nutty Buddy ice cream bar, whether it is police protection, you're right. I think the quicker that you can make that that mental leap to understanding, like accepting, like this is this is the conditions. Like you can't wish them back. Like that reality has to sink in before you know, before you can even make a plan for what you're going to do about it, right? Yeah, one of the the things that that went really good too with the people who made it good was, you know, we, we do what's called you go, you got to go quiet. You know, the quiet ones are the ones you're worried about. You know, you, you're not loud. Like I'll say, for instance, when a time I went to um, Gumbo Jail in St. Louis, Gumbo is is a horrible place, and the the jail they everything is a dorm room. You know, so there's you know a hundred guys in here bunks right next to each other you know that's horrible i'd rather be in a cell by myself or with someone but just you know and all the bathroom your toilets you got 20 toilet seats you know almost like the military no stalls no nothing you know but you're in here with you know who you don't know who's a rapist who's this who's that you know the showers are lined up and so like when i went in there i went in there actually when i was about 16 and the first thing i did i didn't shower for two weeks (laughs) you know because i didn't know what was going on? You know, I didn't take a crap unless I really had to. I go days without crapping. I didn't eat the food unless I really had to. I, I went quiet. I didn't talk. I made people have to wonder about me. You know, I watched where my back was. I didn't sleep at night. I slept during the daytime. You know, when everybody else went to bed at night, I stayed awake until I finally established, you know, a reputation and, and got to know people who I could trust and got to get an idea of what was going on. And once I got an idea of what was going on around me, then I started looking for those comforts again of being able to take a crap if I feel like, you know, being able to take a shower and things like that. So it's just like, say, just coming to the reality that it's over. It's a, it's a whole new world. And now you have to get your mindset to adapt to this new world immediately without whining and crying about what's not there. Cause it's gone. Yeah. One of the things I like about what you just said is really, it's about adapting to your surroundings, right? Like you were, that's a different type of a setting there than it was at like another prison that you go to where you are in a cell and you adapt a certain way. What's interesting is that when I talk with people about, um, like you don't want to stand out in a situation where you're prepared and other people aren't, you know, the, the one thing I tell people is like, if you have a camouflage backpack or anything, like you need to get rid of that damn thing. Cause that's just putting a big old like crosshair right on your forehead. Like here, bring your Louisville slugger over here, pop me here and take my stuff. But the other thing we say is that, um, you know, if it's like a grid down situation, which is one of the things that we, we worry about the most, like there's not going to be, and that's what happened in, in, uh, in combat where I was in, it was an urban environment. It was, it was a city environment and there was no rule of law. There was no more police, the, uh, sanitation, like the, the crap was piling up in the toilets. Like literally people would stand on top of the toilet seat and, and take a shit right on top of a mountain of shit. On top of crap, right? Uh, Exactly. Right. And, uh, no running water. So they were dependent upon the water that was out there. So there's no showers or anything. So I tell people like, if you are prepared and other people aren't, that makes you a target. That's right. If you, if you are, um, you know, if, if nobody else has water and they smell like, like a homeless person, because they are like, they, they basically are not like they haven't been able to take a shower. So they smell horrible, but you come out smelling like Irish spring, they're going to wonder, why does this person so clean? Why do they smell so nice? They must have something that I don't have. And they could follow you back to your home or whatever. Same thing goes even for things like if the electricity's out. And I know I live in Florida. A lot of people have, uh, they have generators already hooked up to their house. If you have a generator, you're going to use it. You need blackout curtains because you don't want to be like the flame that all the moths are going to go to. Like there's somebody, I bet their refrigerator's working too. So so it's really interesting. I love this contrast of of the like how you adapt to whatever the environment is. But what I like about what you just said also is that you accept it first, then you get you get a read for the lay of the land. Yeah. And figure out like what is the, the right thing to do. Um, you know, what is how do you need to stay under the radar? So you took two weeks where you basically didn't take anything for granted. You go into it. And I'm going to like feel where things are and uh, okay, now I know where it's safe to take my first step and then the next step and the next step. And from a survival standpoint, one of the things that helps with that is, is being prepared. Like if you have to go out for food and water, 
you got to go out for food and water. If your family is starving or if there's no water they need to drink, now you're putting yourself out there. So it's another reason why to be prepared and have those things so that you don't have, you know, you can let things kind of tamper down a little bit. You know, the, we always say like the first, I, I always say like the first three days, like people are going to start to get a clue, but if it truly is like a cataclysmic event, it's going to take them a, them a while for, for, to really kind of catch on that things have changed a little bit. So there's a little bit of safe time there, but I've seen it myself that third day, boom, like people get it that they're going to run out of food and they don't know when it's going to come out there. And so, um, yeah, man, I, that's, uh, there's so much to take away from what you just said there. You know, I think when all of us that have not been in prison yet, but, uh, like, you know, <laughs> it's <know>. like, <laughs> hopefully never do, but that scares the living hell out of me, man. Like I watch these movies where like shot caller scares yeah. the living hell out of me, you know, <laughs> something bad happens. They're like, Oh no, here I go. Um, you know, the thing we always think about is we're going to be victimized, right? Like, who am I? Like, I'm, I'm not going to go in there like a badass. Like, do you realize who I am? I own warriorlife.com. Like, I, like it's, I, I'm, I'm like in, I'm out of my element there. So I'm concerned about being victimized by gangs. We all know about like, you know, there's rape, there's extortion, there's theft. There's going to be just the jockeying for who's, who's in charge, who's not in charge. You think you're a badass. Let me tell you who's a bad, like all of those things that we envision about, about going to prison. Those are the same things that I envision when it comes to even the, anybody that's out there that is going to make that mentally faster than I think other people will. I think most people won't be able to make that leap. And I think that they'll congregate, but they'll congregate kind of like sheep where it's like, there's kind of safety in numbers, but only they're just, they're all miserable. And so they're just kind of just kind of being miserable together, but the real power players are going to be the ones who are looking for the opportunity and to victimize them out of that opportunity to be able to get food, get whatever, whatever it is that they need. So in, in prison, how does somebody like avoid, and and if we can somehow tie this also into like, how can you can imagine the way things might be if there were like, we expect like motorcycle gangs are probably the, the, the ones who would be the most organized, be able to come together the fastest and be able to have control over a certain area. Um, if you can put yourself in kind of a more of a civilian situation also and see if the, how, what applies and what doesn't, how do we avoid victimization by the gangs that can even spring up in these types of scenarios? Hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, you join the gang, <laughs> that's going to be the best protection. Now, having said that, you better have something to offer them, you know, some kind of value, you know, you better be a good sniper, a good hand to hand, a good knife fighter, or, you know, somebody who can do something that most won't do. Or else they're just going to, you know, just going to use you up. Your initiation may be to get raped, you know, since you want to be a part of their gang. A lot of, a lot of the prison gangs are like that. Um, but I say you can join a gang or something. The other one is be unreasonably violent, you know, have that, that thing, you know, you have to make a, make an example out of somebody and, you know, show that you, that you, you will go farther than they will. If they come after you, you you know, it's unreasonable what you'll do to them. And a, another thing, I know something that a lot of uh, protective custody people would do, especially if they got thrown in or got found out they were, that they were a rat or something was just, they would cover themselves with feces, just take crap. Cause you know, you, cause you, they knew they're dead meat and you go, this bad dead meat. So you just crap on, they spread. And nobody's going to come near you. You know, you don't want to take a chance with that. So you know, that, that goes with being, being unattractive. If you make yourself unattractive to these gangs somehow, you know, uh, playing crazy. I even teach this to self-defense. I say, you know, whenever somebody's going to attack you, they have expectations of how you're going to respond. They don't just attack a person. They don't know if you got a gun or if you're going to fight back. They look for somebody who, oh, she's probably not going to fight back, but he's not. He's probably going to be afraid. And then when they go, boo, they expect you to go, ah and give up and surrender but i teach people to you know act like you're crazy you know just say oh tommy where's my peanut butter jelly sandwich it's just where they don't know what you're going to do because then it's unexpected and they'll disengage with i don't want to mess this you know i tell people behave like a cop you know police officers get on the ground now you're under arrest i'm undercover you know they're going to whoa crap did they know that oh man they must have been investigating me they're probably going to run off so those things can work for you you know um it's, it's it's like you say when it's uh apocalyptic 
type thing and these people are power, you get surrounded by them, you know, you better be wanting to be one of them. If you're trying to stand on your own, you better do something that's going to scare them off or that's going to impress them where they want you to be with them. Because that's the thing you like, like the people who would be ruling in these situations where we don't have, a, you know, so many people take so much advantage of police officers. I've never, even when I was in jail and prison, never hated police officers. Never. I got to tell with the cops before on the streets and weapons were involved and a cop even that. Would you have shot me? I said, yeah, I shot you because you would have shot me. He's like, well, you hate cops? I said, no. I said, I love cops, man. You guys are warriors. You know, I said, but I'm not going to let you take my life. I don't care who you are, you know. And he said, that kind of makes sense. I see where you're coming from, you know. So people really undervalue our law enforcement, our laws, these people who are out there stopping this kind of stuff from happening. When that's gone, the worst people in the world are the ones who are going to be ruling. Because now is who will shoot somebody in the face, who will stab some, who will cut somebody's head off, and everybody else is going to back down to that person and be afraid that they're going to do what they tell them to do. So they're going to be building up those numbers. So you get somebody like that and those, that kind of crew. Now you get a hold of one of their boys and you bite his nose off and spit half in his face and swallow the other half and say, thanks, I was hungry. And then grab, just be unreasonably cruel. You're going to impress this guy. He's going to say, yeah, I like him. You know, then that may save you because now he knows you're going to bring power to his team if he can get you on his side. So that's, in a situation like that, that's pretty much the size that I can say it is. You know, that's outside really, of that, you better run and hide. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, I find that really interesting because I mean, I think that's that's what a lot of people will think, right? Like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to, it's going to have to become a, a, a Nazi. Oh well, <laughs> there it goes. And you know, most of those most organizations like that, you know, most of your gangs and gang members, they don't want to be in there. I love shot caller, shot caller. They showed how that guy had to turn into that. To save himself and save his family, he had almost no choice or become a rat. You know what I'm saying? And he obviously he didn't want to become a rat. But most people, you know, most of your Nazis, most of your people who are following, they're afraid of the leader and his few people that run the show because of their cruelty. So they're just afraid to take a stand. So they just blindly follow. You know, that's the same thing with like the street gangs. I know tons of Crips and Bloods. They do not want to be in those gangs. They tell me, I wish to God I'd get out of this, but I can't. They'll kill my whole family, you know? And so it's, it's sad, but that's what would happen. And those gangs, the street gangs, our motorcycle gangs, our, you know, uh, our, our racist gangs, you know, all these things like that, they're a small element of that and how that exists. And if they, you know, if our infrastructure falls, those are the guys who are going to be out there running around in charge. So you better be ready to just go crazy with them and go crazy on them, or you got to stay hid. You got to stay hid or you got to stay super unattractive where they look at you and they got no interest in you because you have absolutely nothing that they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, like trying to be a lone wolf among predators doesn't leave you a lot of ability to protect yourself. And in a survival situation, like protect yourself, your family and your supplies over an extended period of time. Um, what are some lessons that you, you've learned in prison on the streets for how to know who to trust and who to stay away from. Because I think that's, it's a very similar environment, right? Like I think that the ones who are in charge or have control or have the power, the might, the ability to be vicious, to be able to take what they need because they're going to eat. I think, you know, they're constantly looking, they're looking for anything that can help them to stay alive. I mean, that's why wolves will go in packs, right? Like the, like it's, we are animals down at a very base instinct that we have. And so you kind of have to know who to trust, who to stay away from. And I, and that's the way, same way I would imagine being like in prison or even in the streets of, of making sure is this person, are they trying to be friends with me because they want something? Are they setting me up for something? Are they really a friend? And it's very, it's a very, it's a shifting dynamic, but I think it's also one where the personal dynamics that we have for ourselves of wanting to trust somebody, wanting to feel some sort of sense of safe, safety, security might make us reach out for other people and try and do that. But how do you create or or find a network of like-minded people who will be able to be strong together? Like, how do you assess, do I join this gang or, you know, do I have to join a gang? Can I be with these guys over here? Don't look like a gang, but they look like nobody's messing with them. Um, how do you know who to, who to band with and who not to? Cause I think being a lone wolf is, is not going to, I mean, it's probably the same in prison, right? If you're just like the quiet guy, you just like, leave me all, everybody leave me alone. You probably just going to pass it, around. It depends. You know, the, um, the, the prison that I was at, 
mostly people didn't really mess with you. You could you could lone wolf and not be involved in a lot of things. And mainly you could find crews off of the way they carried themselves. You know, there were crews who were in, in the middle of things, you know, and trying to make money and getting involved in stuff. And you if you weren't somebody who, you know, who wanted to be a part of them, you stayed away from them. Now, as far as if it, it, it came to the to being pressured and you are being along with, you better be somebody who had something to offer. For instance, when I went in, you know, the fact that I was a good martial artist, a good fighter, I had a, a reputation when I came into the prison. And the one thing that I had to offer everybody, you know, because I walked along until I finally created my own crew. And my, my crew was created, we were martial artists, you know, and everybody knew what the thing we did. First of all, we all, we sparred every day. We bloodied each other up. You know, and nobody could ever beat me, but I would actually stand and let them hit me, you know, and just let them punch me and bust my nose and bust. And, you know, so I was considered a very, you know, crazy rough person. And then some of them, you know, they either get an elbow and a boom, and me boom, get thrown across the gym. Now, we weren't doing this out of hate to each other. This was a brotherhood. But the people who observe them, like, oh, my God, these guys, we don't want to mess with them. So the thing that I had to offer was I could offer them power. And it wasn't just my power. I, I can make them powerful. So that helped my value to go up where I was kind of allowed to be alone. I didn't really have to worry about anybody trying to force me to join anything, anything like that. And when I was the, when the, the prison, Wyoming State Pen, when I was there, it wasn't a, you know, a really, really bad place where you had to worry about a lot of problems like that. I dealt even more so with dealing with gangs and crews was more in the, the jail system. Mm-hmm. But again, I was still always was, you know, I was always muscular, you know, I was always quiet, you know, and I was always in my mind ready to die at any moment before, you know, excuse me, before I was going to be anybody's bitch. That was automatic. I mean, that's how I was at age 10, 10, 11. That's why I started fighting on the street. So people know how to read and how to look at you. They look look at your eyes, you know, look at the way you move, the way you grab things, the way you touch things, the way you hold your fork, the way you sleep, you know, he, he don't sleep with his head at the bars, the way you watch them the way you put your back against the wall. So they can, you know, it's kind of like watching a tiger. And if they see that a lot of times they, they won't even bother you, but you, you have to be able to offer them something that they can't get without you. If you want to be able to hold a position like that, everybody knew if something happened to, to Bam Bam, you know, hey, Bam Bam, even if I got in trouble went to South Jericho confinement, martial art training was over this, this empowerment was gone. You know, you're not going to be able to get this power that I was giving you to be yourself. So they surrounded to protect, even to protect me for that. Yeah. But I, I, so I'm also reminded of a quote of uh, it's better to be, and you know, you probably, you probably finished it all for me, but it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. Right. Yeah, the war. That's right. <laughs> and um, you know, I think that a lot of, so people can band together. Like I, and I, I work with a lot of like homesteaders and things like that, that, that are really great with growing things. I have something, they have something to offer and there's a community, there's a really tight community of homesteaders and gardeners and things like that. But where they're lacking oftentimes is, is really kind of more of the viciousness and the, I mean, they're very close to the, close to the earth, but not as much to the animal instincts that they, that they have. Um, you know, I, I did a, um, very short stint with the guardian angels in Albany, New York, when they, they started a chapter, we had, we were having trained, gang I issues. I a bunch of those guys here in St. Louis. Yeah. The guardian. Yeah. Angels. Yeah. And I was always like, I was always enamored by them. Like I would go down to New York city and I would see them. And like, I, I don't know, just like, they really impressed me. And so they came to Albany and that's, I lived out near Albany at the time. And I like, I, that was my chance. And I went and I started training with them and I didn't, like I left before even the patrol started because everybody that was in there, like I knew they were going to get their asses kicked. Like even in numbers, like it was just like, I don't like, like, I don't know. I'm going to be the only one standing. Everybody else is going to be like crying and like holding their, the, the bruised knee or whatever. Like it just, I did not feel safe even walking around with everybody that was there. And so you really do have to kind of like pick and choose also it's because I think we can probably flip that, right? Like you have to have something that you bring to, the table here, but you also want to make sure that you are banding up with people who can offer you something as well and are going to be of the same mindset. That's why we talk with people about 
you know, training them about whether you call it a survival team or a mutual aid group, that now is the time to do those things so that you yes. already have right. you're you know you already you already have your crew. Don't wait until the war starts. Exactly. <laughs> don't start trying to exactly. train people then. Right. <laughs> right. But there's a way to do that too. I mean, I think most people are going about it completely wrong. We we did a complete class on this, a complete workshop on this for our academy, because I think that most people it was and it was a huge eye opener for people even that were more experienced because they don't they don't really don't understand the concept of um, like you probably already have a team. It's probably not the one that you want, but you already have one. Like there's a lot of dynamics to it, right? Yeah. So um, so I think you also have to be very careful about who you're going to kind of network with also. Um De- well, definitely. Yeah. You know, even the um the the people that I would like, there were people I rejected, you know, and I look for the way I usually choose people because is I watch how they treat others. And I, I I hate always telling people saying that because it gives away my magic. You know, but I'm, I still there's other telltales also, you know, like people come to train under me and, you know, and I meet people and they're, they're going, yes, sir, man, it's really great. You, you know, and I th- that's cool. And, then, you know, we get life going and I pay attention to how they t- treat the worst student in class. I pay attention to how they treat the handicapped kid. I pay attention to how they treat their wife. You know, I pay attention. Mm-hmm. And that's what you really seeing where when it's when they're powerful. And the person that they're dealing with is weak. That's where you're going to see the true them come out. So I would always look for that in people. And that's how I would select them. And actually, you know, I have a, uh, you know, we've got a tattoo that a lot of my guys wear. And now even some, some of the ladies even wear it now. It's called a Muay Tiger tattoo. And we're called the Muay Tiger crew. And they have to be able to fight. They have to have fought. And or they have to have been a sparring partner for my fight. they got to be able to defend themselves. But I pick them because of the goodness of their character, not because they're a badass. You know, I pick them because that's a person I watched the way they've, they've done something, something extremely kind from some, for somebody besides me, can't be me, you know, and I witnessed this act that they've done, you know? And so that's how I pick them. And they, they earn this title as a, as a Muay Tiger and they got a tattoo they can wear on their shin. And it actually, it actually stems from prison. We were the Muay Tiger, the group, the crew that I had in there, but that's why I picked them. And I let them all know. So this is not a gang. We're not a gang. Even though I know, we would all stand up for each other if we have to, but we're not, we're not uh, praying on others. That's not what we're here for. We're here to help others. But when I seen them do one of them do a kind act and they showed me that they really understood the martial arts becoming a true martial artist, then that's when they got that mark and they got that rank. So yeah, I would say you, you want to choose, choose the people you're right. You got to pick the right people, watch how they treat people that are weaker than them. And that that's, that'll give you the closest telltale you can to, how they probably going to treat you behind your back when they can gain from taking you out. You know? mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I'm assuming that someone is committed to maintaining like the, a warrior presence, like they're not going to be subservient They're They really do want, like, they're going to take charge. They're going to take the hill. They're going to protect their family. They're going to protect themselves or whatever it takes. Um, what other tactical strategies do you think would be helpful from your time in prison that like we haven't talked about? Well, of course, you know, making sure that, everybody's trained and, you know, you got to create that circle because, you know, sometimes I always think of this, I always say to myself, you know, even with people I trust now because society is cool, the machine is working. And I say, you know, could I trust this person? You know, would this be somebody who shoot me in the back of the head, you know, for a million dollars, you know, just thinking of things like that, you know, and I would say that if you have to have a reason behind you know, your existence, a reason behind what you're doing is just like when everything folds, everything's going bad, everything's going horrible. And if you've got a passion for for being there, like me, even when I was when I was in prison, it was my passion was to to get out and uh, what's the word? Like retribution. I needed I need to get out. I had family out there who was waiting on me. I had people out there waiting on me. So I had a, an objective. You always got to have some type of an objective. And everybody who's involved with you has to have that same type of objective or goal. Uh, all of my guys who became Muay Tigers, they all cared about their families. They cared about their their, their sister, their mom. Their, they had somebody, somebody that they wanted to get to to take care of. They felt guilty about being in there. They felt bad about what they had done. So that was our what we had in common. You have to have something in common that everybody's willing to die for in that crew. Or else, like you say, you turn your back and... Now they just, you know, you got somebody in there that's just trying to gain for themselves and not even gain for a, a mission, something that's that's more meaning to them than even their life is. 
then as soon as you turn your back, you know, they, they want your, that gun. You got a better gun than them. Okay. Now the gun's mine. You know, then you're dealing with issues like that. But that's one of the main things I always try to make sure the people that I surrounded myself with, that we have similar objectives, similar interests, then you can, then it's okay to strengthen and empower them. Man, there's, there's actually a lot to unpack out of that. Uh, there, and here's why I say that, like, this is where your, your streets, your streets showing Jermaine, <laughs> because like, I think most people will, will listen to that. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't have anybody that I worry is going to like pop me in the back of the head. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like a barbecue with, you know, Jim next door. And we had the block party and like did that Tupperware thing with Joan over there. Like yeah, nobody, they, they don't know that. what they don't know is that Jim is looking at their wife. You know, and not, Jim's not messing with him now, but when it, there's no, you know, what's the, uh, what's the movie, uh, Purge? It's like Purge, when at night, when everybody can go out and kill, you find out, you know, hey, the, the one kid went to kill the dad because he wanted her daughter, his daughter. He didn't want the daughter dating the kid, so the kid went to kill the dad, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it, those movies kind of help you to think along that, but like you say, that's because everything is intact, so they people don't show those type of things, so. I understand what you're saying. Well, and, and, I, and I'll give you another analogy here also, uh, because, you know, I, I deal with, um, we have a nonprofit. We, we help veterans with, with combat PTS and where we, we're, we can cure, we can cure it like in like almost instantaneously. Yeah, that's and, incredible. You're telling about that. That's incredible. I'm have, I got some guys I'm going to be sending to you. Yeah, absolutely. Guys and girls. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and like, I see, I think a lot of, uh, you know, when we think about the American soldier, right, it's like, you know, proud, you know, standing tall and, and you know, just like fighting for our country and they're just the patriotism. And people don't understand that in situations where people can get power hungry in any, in any, um, doesn't it doesn't matter. There's so many incidents of military sexual trauma. Um, so many women who have been raped by soldiers over there. Um, I mean, in, in prison, you wouldn't think it's like, Hey, we're all guys. Like why it happens in prison, right? It even happens to men in the military who get raped by other men in the military. It's, it's very similar to a prison in some, in some ways in that, you know, you're, you're there. And especially in a situation where you don't want to be there. Um, you're, you're having to do things. You're having to live a life. You're, 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 your spouse just had a baby back home and you haven't seen the baby and like those things happen and they just, they just continuously just kind of work on your psyche. And then you start transforming and it it can act out in ways that you wouldn't even expect. I think people would be very shocked at the number, at the amount of uh, military sexual trauma that happens. And these are people that you would not think would be like that at all. So I really try to help people understand, like in a survival situation where it's collapsed, where there is no rule of law, where the police are ineffective. And if you if you want to look at this, I mean, like even in New Orleans, when Hurricane Katrina hit, all the looting and everything was happening, police were right in the stores, right alongside them, like grabbing stuff because they knew that there's like, oh, shoot, there's not going to be more food in this grocery and my baby's got to eat. Right. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to grab some SpaghettiOs and head on out. And so. You have to understand that people, what you, what we consider normal now, it will change. I have seen in combat neighbors fighting. We, I, I, I tell people um, the story sometimes where I've looted. Like we've had, we, after it was after about like three or four days, there was a, a supply truck that was near where we had taken over this one section of the, of the town. And there were civilians all in that area. And eventually everybody got hungry and wanted to know what was inside of that, that trailer and broke it open and opened it up and there were goods in there. Um, and they just started beating the hell out of it. Like, like they just started, and these are neighbors. Like we're talking about like a, a tight block of people and just started battling right there. We had to intervene and distribute what was already there. It wasn't like, no, 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 that's not yours. We need to, you know, the person that owns a truck, they, it belongs to them. It's like, no, they were hungry. Like we went in there, we, there were bikes coming out of their shoes. There was just all kinds of stuff, but it was like, people don't, people really don't understand until you've seen it, how quickly of a, a best friend can turn on a best friend, you know, whether it's the, uh, their wife or there's all sorts of things. And you just don't know what that person's breaking point is. You don't even know what your own breaking point is unless you've actually been broken or been close to being broken. 
I don't know how to really get this across to people, Jermaine. I don't really know how, you know, I mean, it, it almost, it almost feels like a movie, right? Like, it's like, oh, that's the stuff that happens in movies. Like, no, I've seen it with my eyes. It's just, that I don't know really how to best express it to people. And I know you work with guys that are going into incarceration to help them be on the best foot when they get in there. Right. Yeah. And I don't I'll know. Like, what, I give you, I'll tell you with what you're saying, you know, I've been, and I fought all over the world. I've been through prison. I've been through jail. You know, when I was when they arrested me, I went into the tanks in St. Louis. That's in Clayton. That's like that's the that's why they put like mass murderers and stuff. And I'm this kid in there, and I was in a in a uh, cell. It was one, two, three, four, six beds in here. And I mean, this this thing wasn't no wider than I could stretch my arms just about. You know, those beds touching. You walk right in the middle, and we were all locked in there. 24 seven, you know, with these guys, I had a serial killer in there with me and all these crazy. So I've, I've been through all this stuff. I fought all across the world, you know, and I've never just showed any kind of fear. You know, I've been in street fights. I was a bodyguard. I've been, you know, a weapons, weapon fights, everything. I've done it all out there. So, you know, you think somebody like me, with Jermaine's just nerves are still, you know, just, and of course, and I think that too about it. I'm supposed to, well, just, I mean, just the other day, this is so, I like, I like it when I get a reality check. You know, and I'm in my in my dojo where my dojo, I've got a yoga room behind me and uh, the yoga people, they rent it from me. And so they, they go in the yoga room, they rent the yoga room, they rent it from the building owner. And so I don't know all of them. You know, we, I know the, the head guy that runs it. Sometimes if people come through, well, I'm sitting in my office, which is right in front of it. And, you know, I usually don't, you know, I might have a, you know, a knife or something on me like that. Usually walking around, that's if I'm going in and out of the place. But uh, I'm sitting in my desk and I hear this the front door swing open. And I hear this, you know, this loud moaning. I mean, loud, like it's it's very weird. You whoa, whoa, and it's just going, it's repetitive. And I'm like, what? Is somebody joking around? And it just shocked my heart. You know, now I'm thinking to myself, get the katana. You know, what the heck is coming around this corner? Is this somebody getting ready to come in, you know, with a bunch of M16s and unload on me? I mean, all this crap's going through my head because I could not identify what this was. Now, everything I can identify. You know, somebody could have came in and I could have heard a gun go off or anything like that. And I would have heard, I've been ready, you know, but I did not. I, is this a ghost? Is this, I mean, is a witch coming to get, is this an alien? What is this? So I'm looking at her, just staring, waiting, and I couldn't move. And I'm like, okay, where's my knife? The only thing I could do is reach for my knife. My knife wasn't there. Now I know my katana sits behind me, you know, and I'm like, okay, but where's the katana? Where's it is? Where's it? And I'm like, okay, I got to wait to see what this is. And I had to wait and see what it was before I could even unlock myself. And that's very uncommon for somebody who's been through what I've been through. So, and, and so what you're saying, you know, when this stuff happens, it's just like, I'm sure, you know, if somebody here, somebody's never heard a bomb go off, they hear that boom, that's going to shock and freeze them. So these realities are out there. And I see the best thing we can always do is admit that we don't know what we're going to do. When people ask me, well, Jermaine, what would you do if this and that? I say, well, either I'll say, well, I've been in that situation and this is what I did. Or I say, well, I hope that I would do this, but I never leave myself to say, oh yeah, I'm just going to, man, I'll grab that gun and I'll shove it up his butt and I'm going to, I'll be there with my sniper rifle and I'm going to make sure, you know, because with no situation and it's things we can't identify. <laughs> and that was so funny when that happened to him, I said, yeah, there you go, asshole. That's what you get, you know, to myself, you know, I need those realities. It's the real world. This is not a movie. I'm not, I'm not Black Adam. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's not what this is. I'm a human being with feelings and emotions and fear is still in there. And with something weird and loud, it threw me totally off guard. You know, if he came running around that corner, I don't, you know, I, maybe I would have accidentally stabbed him. You know, maybe I would have just froze. He could have ran me over and I'd be standing with, with shoe prints on my face. But that feeling right there is that feeling I think everybody's going to get if that, you know, if the police car stop, stop going, the, the, the lights go off, you know, that your heat and AC ain't working anymore. And that cold air, it takes five, 10 minutes. And now you're feeling it. I'm cold, man. What's going on here? You know, and then you hear it pop, 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 people screaming in the streets and fires going on. That fear of, oh, my God, I've never seen this except in a movie where I was eating popcorn and Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> you know, that's not what's happening. And I think if we stay honest with ourselves on that level, that's the best chance we can have. Because I always like to tell people this. I say, you know, people live in their neighborhoods. They feel safe. They like what makes them feel safe is leaving a door unlocked and a garage door open. I say, first of all, criminals go where they want to go. You know, some guys escape from a jail. They're going to come to your nice neighborhood and they're going to see your doors open, things like that. Secondly, a person can change in an instance. 
You know, your neighbor, you guys might be best friends today, but you do not know what happened at work yes, this yesterday. You do not know what happened with him and his wife. You do not know what happened in his brain where he may have flipped the switch and he's now your enemy, you know? So if we, if we, if we can keep all that in that mind that we're not in that much control, we do what we can to be in control. Then I think that being in that, that close to the reality that something can shock us will allow us to come out of that shock faster than if we just think we've got it all under control because we've never had to experience anything, you know? Yeah. There's a, um, there are so many critical points there from a survival perspective. Also, um, like you said, you don't know your, you, you don't know your neighbor, where your neighbor's going to snap and things like that. Like, um, you know, people, I, I think the ego likes to convince you what you're going to do and everything, or you want to convince other people what a badass you are. And I don't even mean that, like, I don't even think it's even that literal, but I think that people tend to, you know, talk to other, their neighbors or their friends about how prepared they are. And we tell people to keep your mouth shut. Like, I don't care who it is. The best uh, you know, it, don't let anybody know. <laughs> don't let anybody know. Yeah. Don't let anybody know. I, um, in, in preparation for my time in prison, Jermaine, I went to Wikipedia actually and I and I discovered that you don't want to tell people that you're coming in with like money in the in the bank account, like the prison bank account. Like you don't you want to just always appear broke. Always, even if, always look broke. Always look yep. broke. And the same thing happens. And the reason why is because obviously people, if they know that you have it, it's like you're gonna you're gonna get extorted. You're gonna like there's bad things that can happen because you have something that they want. Well, the that's when you don't know the no, no matter how well you think you know your neighbor or your best friend or whatever. If they're not part of your quote unquote survival team, if they're not part of your inner circle, do you guys plan on like grabbing M16s or you know AR15s and hitting the windows and guarding guarding the shop together, then you do not talk with them about what a badass you are, how many weapons you have, how much ammo you have, how much food you have, any of that stuff because you just don't know. The other thing that uh that I I I took out of what you're saying is um where the freeze happens and the freeze is a very natural thing. I was just reading, actually there was a, a study that was done on this specific to shooting, but I found it really, really. And I just actually just interviewed uh, Joe, Joe Tetai also from a, from a dual survival. We were talking about this, about how there's fight flight or freeze, but what they, most people don't tell you is that like 80% of the time you're going to freeze. Right. You, you can't not, and you, and you feel ice cold. It's an ice cold feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, you don't know what to do because your brain is processing information. Now, if it's a situation that you've been in before, your brain has a much shorter path to take. Right. Like it recognizes, oh, danger. Oh, somebody's looking at me a certain way. Oh, whatever. You know what happened last time. Like your brain has all those little points to, to be able to go to, to say, do this now or else you're dead or else you're going to, something bad's going to happen to you. But if you don't have that, your brain doesn't really know what to do with it yet. It's trying to figure it out because everything is in relation to the world that you know. Right. And so whether it is a dangerous situation where you're working, you're, you're looking at dealing with other people or being victimized by other people, it can even just be a situation where if you've never been out in the woods, if you've never been soaked to the bone, freezing cold, and this is the first time you're getting outside of your cushy life is because you've been forced into it because now there's no more electricity for the next year. Right. And it's, you know, all bets are off outside your front door. Then it's going to be a harder path for you to be able to get to the point where you're going to be in that you're going to be warrior ready, as we say, to be ready to do that. And so that's why I tell people like, I know in the military, we have a saying called embrace the suck. That's what I was talking about earlier when I when I was talking about like there's nothing you can do. You're soaked to the bone, you're freezing cold, you're not going to make a fire, you're not going into the Humvee, you're not going to go back to the barracks. Yeah. You you just got to figure it out. Well, I have a saying like that seek the suck because you shouldn't be in a position where you're forced to have to deal with something that shouldn't be the first time that you have to deal with it. It doesn't have to be like you know, go walk naked down the middle of, you know, in Chicago, down the bad streets, to be able to go get yourself beat up and, and to get to know what a real fight's like. But it does mean that you have to put yourself in situations where you feel adrenaline, where you might freeze, whether that's public speaking, whether that's, you know, I've, I've gone through like an escape and evasion course where one of the, one of the tasks was to ask a, a, a 
like you had to go out and ask a perfect stranger for money. That that takes a lot of like people don't understand just what it takes to be able to overcome all of those things that you have to go through, the mental gymnastics. And but those are all things that you can seek the suck, take a cold shower, uh, you know, just go camping, go, but go when it's raining. I go when it's raining outside, I go running. Yeah, purposely go outside. That's what I do. I go when run. It's cold out, I purposely go run. Exactly. You know, not wearing gloves, things like that. Let my hands get freezing cold. And yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I think people really need to like don't like seek the suck. Go out there, let things suck a little bit. It doesn't have to be like you know you're you're bringing yourself to point to the point of hypothermia, but just go out and let it be uncomfortable. Be comfortable with uncomfortability because in a survival situation, you are going to be uncomfortable. It's just yeah, a matter of whether it's new or not. Yeah. yeah, and you like say you want to when you're doing things like that. I always say that because I teach people how to how to to uh, be. I say how to befriend fear. And I went to an extreme, it's a stupid extreme. When uh, I was fighting, actually, when I first started fighting, it, to me it was either I'm I'm going to be the best, or I'm dead. It was you know was the the get rich or die trying stuff. You didn't get rich fighting back when I was fighting. You know, I'm, I still didn't get rich yet. <laughs> you know, they weren't paying anything, but that was my my way to rejuvenate who I was. And I would actually go and stand. It was a highway, right? I lived in Illinois. I think it was Highway 59, and I would stand. The speed limit was 35, 40. I would go and stand in the middle of the street and close my eyes. And I mean, and and those cars would come hitting their horn, and I had to control my breathing. Now, that's stupid. Don't do that. Do not. Yeah, do not try this at home, everybody. (laughs) But understand that what that did, that brought my fear to such a high level, and I learned to control it, that, you know, standing across from this guy to fight him, you know, while I got a referee and, and rules, that was nothing, you know, absolutely nothing, you know? So on that level, do, doing things like that on the lower level, you have to, like you say, you got to feel that adrenaline rush. You got to feel that being uncomfortable. And at least that's getting you closer to when that extreme shock hits, you know? And then, like you say, your brain still got some connection there instead of all it knows is comfort and it's way, way over here. You know, you get shocked, adrenaline's going, your brain don't know what to do. It's just looking and there's nothing anywhere near, you know. But at least if, like you say, it's raining and you shouldn't be out running and you go running, you know, then your brain's, oh, okay, we do things that we're not, and it's moving a little closer to that. Yeah. Yeah. All good points. Uh, Jermaine, I have one more question for you. And this is this is kind of a tough one because I, I know that not everybody is going to be, you know, they're not all going to become Mad Max, right? Um and it is going to be very, very difficult. I mean, I, I I don't have a lot of hope for the future. It scares the living hell out of me the way that the world the world is going right now, right? But yeah. um, I know that a lot of guys go into prison, especially if if they're new to it or if they're dealing they're dealing with their new surroundings and they have to they have to accept it. But there's a hopelessness that can that can set in sometimes depression, suicidal thoughts, and we've seen this so many times. I mean, the incidents, even during COVID lockdown, when, you know, domestic abuse went up, um, alcohol abuse went up, suicide. We, we dealt with, with veterans that were, you know, they're always a lot of, a lot of them are always dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts and it just got worse. We lost some, even some advocates for that were out there speaking for veterans and, and helping them not commit suicide, they committed suicide. Like things can get really tough. So how does somebody battle that, that sense of hopelessness or depression or suicidal thoughts when, when things get really, really bad around them? You know, I even teach my, and I I can say this, I teach my students and, you know, because really what I teach in the hardcore stuff is what I learned from, you know, being inside and dealing with stuff like that. And you got to have a belief in something bigger than yourself, you know, and I'd, I'd even, I even applaud, you know, uh, people who belong to gangs and organizations who really take it to heart. You know, I've met some hardcore, you know, Crips, some hardcore, you know, Aryan brotherhoods, where they, they, it's to their heart, they bone, you know, some uh, hardcore Vikings, you know, and they're not doing it for the, for self-service, they're doing it for the cause. So it doesn't matter what happens around it because, you know, they, they're not, looking for a personal gain or a personal comfort. So I tell, even like I said, I tell my students when they join up, I say, well, what are your, you know, your spiritual beliefs? You believe in higher power. And some of them say, no, I say, well, you should start 
because that'll keep you going when you lose belief in yourself. And that's when we, that's when suicide happens. That's when depression happens. When we lose belief in ourselves and the thing that we, that we can control what's around us, you have no faith. You got, you got no reason to keep going, but when you have faith in something that you believe is that there's a reason for this, you know, like even me, when I went to prison, I mean, 19 years old, that's horrible. You know, that's man, what's, what's going to happen in my life? I mean, for six years, you know, I had a beautiful woman, you know, where we committed the crime together. So that's we were Bonnie and Clyde, you know, and I went to prison so she wouldn't have to. So that's, you know, that's how much I love this this girlfriend. And I knew I'm a loser. She's probably going to be getting worked over by other guys. That's horrible for a 19 year old kid. But I had belief that, you know, hey, there's something bigger than me that has me here for a reason. So I have to make it through no matter what I have to do this. And if you can, if people can get that in their head, you know, that I'm here for a reason, there's something bigger and better and stronger than me. And I am valuable or else I wouldn't even be on this planet. This wouldn't be, no matter what's happening around me, there's some reason I'm supposed to be here. Even if it's to take a bullet that wasn't supposed to hit somebody else that's supposed to help all of mankind and find a cure to this problem we have, you know, there's, there's some reason. So you have to, have to value yourself by valuing something bigger than yourself, then then that's when you, that's when you're immortal. That's what I tell you. That's when you become immortal because you're immortal in your mind. And once I just, I started thinking like that, you know, there's no. I would say this: when you can accept death, you can start living. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you say to yourself, "Man, okay, I know I can die. I know I'm going to die. I'm going someday. I'm gonna die today." Both of you know, all of us, everybody's listening to this. Someday you're going to die today. And today may be that day. So there's no need to even feel sorry for myself or anything. I'm going to do everything I can to do everything that I feel is right for this objective, this reason, so that when that day comes, I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I love that, man. That's awesome. I, I, pre- I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, man, I could talk about this. This just intrigues me, man. It intrigues me. I'm all, I mean, a lot of people talk about like survival mindset, warrior mindset, things like that. But I think a lot of people don't, don't really go to the depths of really like pulling away the layers of the onion of the mind, their own. And, and again, if, unless they've had, they've had an experience where they've been betrayed, like really betrayed by others been in situations where um, you're, it's new to you and it's a dog eat dog world. I, I think that uh, it, it is a big wake up call. I know it was for me. It was, it was a complete shocker to me. And that's why I really was looking forward to this interview because um, I'm looking for, uh, for more and more strategies and tips to be able to help people make that mentally. Cause I think that's where it really starts. Right. Like, I think you can, um, I'm sure you would agree, like going into prison, you could be the biggest, baddest looking guy there. But if you got a mouse of a brain and you go in there, just like you're, you're going to, in fact, you're probably even more of a target because you're an easy, right. big target, makes somebody look, look tougher. So it's not about how many guns you have. It's not about like, it's about what you can do with all this stuff. It's about how can you harden the mind, but the right way. And it's not a bumper sticker. It's not a t-shirt. Right. That's right. Nope. It's yep. not. I, can, so, I remember uh, I wrote a book, a book, one of my books is called Fighter's Bible. And I wrote that book. My uh, instructor, my Muay Thai instructor, Ron Smith, told me, he said, man, you should write a book on fighting and let everybody know about the most important things about fighting. So I wrote this book and it's got 10 commandments in it. It's a pretty good, pretty cool book. And I let him read the book. And after I got done, he said, Jermaine, do you know in this book, you, you said absolutely nothing about actual fighting. Everything is about preparing, you know, about your entourage, the people you surround yourself with, your contracts, your weigh-ins, cutting weight, you know, all the things that go before you fight. I said, wow. I said, I didn't even recognize I did that. I did. I just followed your orders. You said, what are the most important things that you learned about how to travel on a plane? Make sure that you got your fight gear and your carry-on luggage. Don't put it under the plane. You know, uh, uh, having, you know, three checklists that you go through before you leave, you know, uh, carrying your own food because you might get there and the food they got, you can't eat or make you sick. You know, uh, shaking, you know, if you're going, you know, just all this stuff that allows you to be able to fight. And I think that's a point you're making that, yeah, it's good to have great guns and have great survival gear and all this stuff. But if you don't do the things around that that are important, like you say, not announcing on Facebook that I just bought 5,000 pounds of ammo and, you know, and I just buried it at my home in Troy, in my hideout in Troy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all I got to do is look up your name and find that, you know, you just put a big bullseye on your head. I had to tell a guy that before he's bragging about it. I got this and this. I said, dude, I said, dude, you're making yourself a target. 
I said, I might come get you tonight. <laughs> you know, I joke with him, of course. And he's like, man, I didn't think about that. Then I said, yeah, you know, you don't tell people what you got because that's that's what you're doing. But I, I, I just want to say that with it. I actually wrote a whole book accidentally, you know, and everything I focused on that was the most important had nothing to do with this. And that's even in prison. It's the same thing. I could fight in there. And I remember when when they interviewed the Riverfront Times interviewed me and they didn't believe my story. They're like, no way, dude. So they called the prison. And they talked to the warden up there and the guards. And they said, Jermaine rarely got into any kind of fights or anything. That means he really knew how to handle himself. You know, and that's what it was. I handled myself with my mind. I handled myself with my manner, the way I treated people. I knew who to stay away from. I knew who I could convince of this and that. You know, things like it was all the strategies around that because I knew when it came, if it came to this, somebody's probably going to die. You know, so I had to do everything I could to make sure it didn't come to that. So they said, I might have the greatest sniper rifle in the world. But when I fire that shot, how many people going to hear that? You know, oh, somebody's got a gun up there. That sounded like a, I want that gun. So now they're closing in on me. Anybody with a rifle like that, they must have money. They probably got food. They probably got everything we need, you know. So and just touching on what you were saying there. Yeah. 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 That's awesome, man. Where do I get this book? <laughs> I'm uh, you get, if, if you go to JermaineAndre.com, there's a section books and all my, my autobiographies there. Uh, Fighters, Fighter Bibles there. ISIS there. There's a, a bunch of books that I've written there. Awesome. And I think about, about four or five of them on that website. But the best thing on my website is called Warrior's Edge. It's my blog. And it's actually where I'm, I'm, I'm opening up with all these things that help me to be is great, you know, and I say great, I'm saying as humbly as I can, you know, but be as, uh, I'll say blessed, <laughs> I like that better, blessed and powerful as I am. Just, you know, this is me 50 years old, you know, I took some pictures of things, I say, this is me, I feel like I, like I was when I was 50, I can work out, I'm healthy, you know, hey, I want to share this with everybody, you know, and I've got just tons of stuff on there. My mindset, the way I think, you know, uh, all of these warrior codes, the code of chivalries listed there and I elaborate on it. Uh, the code of Bushido is listed there and I take each one of the, the codes and I elaborate on them, you know, just trying to get people to understand the way that they can, you know, comprehend these types of things, you know, uh, tell them, you know, tell them about how to get put good first impressions, building good character, you know, self-defense, you know, is, this is, you know, it's not TV cheat, you know, hit them with something, you know, just, just all kinds of good stuff there, but it's all at JermaineAndre.com. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, well, you got the domain, everybody. So listen, this is, um, this is what I, I love talking with Jermaine because I mean, for somebody to be able to, to go into a system like that, like where it's, it, you're going into the wild, right. And to be able to survive in that, but, but to come out of it, even actually, even to hold on to a virtuous warrior spirit, among predators, among the most violent people of our society, and to be able to hold steady to that inside of yourself. I think that's what we all aspire to, right? Like, I would like to think we don't all have, I mean, I I can't see myself becoming a true predator. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of my family. You should too. You need to, under, you need to understand that that is there, but for me, the ideal is preparing so that you don't have to do that. I think that's right. that ties into what a lot of what, what Jermaine was saying about you don't have to fight, you don't have to victimize people if you if you do things the right way, if you prepare, if you train, if you're in the right mental state, if you treat people with respect, if you if you do the right things, you don't have to go to that to that uh, zone. So there's so I mean I I could I'm going to go back and listen to this interview probably three more times. There's there was just so many, so many good, uh, good things there. So I really appreciate your time. I'd like to touch real quick on that, Jeff, what you said yeah. about doing the right thing. So you don't have to victimize somebody else. That's even like with somebody like me, because I still have, you know, fighter instincts. You can still, I can still be set off because of the things I've been through. And so, you know, I, I have a strict code. I don't go to bars. I don't go to nightclubs where people are drunk and silly and I got my woman with me and somebody grabs her butt or says something too, cause I'm probably going to unload and beat the crap out of everybody in there. So it's like you said, but I prepare for that. We know that I have a certain way I have to live my life to protect others, even from me. So even as, as a person who's surviving, you want to say, okay, of course I got to protect myself from all them, but I got to make sure I protect them from me too. Because I know if somebody crosses this line, I'm going to unload on them, you know, but then when you unload it on them, you made a lot of noise or that person had a crew that you didn't know about. And that person got sent out, you know, you just alerted that you're there, but just thinking with the mind of, of, some type of compassion and, you know, and care towards humanity and people that I don't even, I don't want to have to hurt anybody. 
that's going to help you from to keep you from getting hurt. And that helped me a lot. The fact that I didn't want to hurt people, you know, and I would keep I would know how to avoid situations and work around them. Then I became smarter. Then it became a craft, you know, and then it became part of my life. And that's what I even teach now. And I got buddies who get into it all the time and get into this and that. And I send them off and I say, look, this is what you need to do. You don't need to change them. You need to change you. You don't need to change. You can't change how you behave in the place. You got to change the places you go to. And they, they, oh, and they get it. And now you got a perfectly functioning person, you know, mm. all because they're thinking about the fact that I need to protect others from me. Awesome. That's golden, man golden information. Thank you so much. Listen, everybody, you know, the domain germaineandre.com. Go there, check it out, grab his books and uh, check out his training, check out his blog. Uh, It's priceless wisdom there for you. So go check it out. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.